There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing the Bernie Madoff scheme. Here's what you need to know. By the 1990s, Bernie Madoff had cemented himself as a financial genius, a titan of Wall Street. For investors and business partners, it seemed whatever Madoff touched turned to gold. But in 2009, the truth about Bernard L. Madoff's business practices was exposed. And what came next was utter shock, as investors around the world realized billions of dollars, for many their entire life savings, had been lost in what is described as the largest global Ponzi scheme ever carried out in history. We saved, we worked, we thought we had a broker who was just maybe a little smarter than than others. In 1960, 22-year-old Bernie Madoff was a recent Hofstra College graduate from Queens, dipping his toes in the finance world. He'd recently married his college sweetheart, Ruth Alpern, and was working out of his father-in-law's office with hopes of one day becoming a market maker. 
A market maker is someone who matches buyers and sellers who want to trade small stock that is not found in the big exchange. At some point during that time, two accountants who worked at the Alpern firm, Frank Avellino and Michael Bienes, began to sustain a flow of Madoff-bound cash through the issuance of notes that they failed to register with the SEC, as is required by law. Madoff's first clients were friends and associates recruited from Queens, Long Island, and the Catskills. By the 1980s, Madoff's trading business had skyrocketed through a controversial practice of paying large brokerage firms a penny or two per share for sending orders through his firm. He would then make up for the few cents paid with the sheer volume of business he was doing. It is believed that it was around this time that Madoff started his elaborate Ponzi scheme. As more investors joined, their money was used to fund payouts to existing investors. It was also used as fee payments for Madoff's firm and for his personal expenses. But this meant that the influx of new investors was crucial to the success of his financial business. He promised his customers a steady, reliable rate of return on their investments, and he always delivered. Word spread and those who were able to do business with Madoff's firm considered themselves lucky. In the 1990s, the acquisition of the Fairfield Sentry Limited Fund, which had the entirety of its $4 million managed by Madoff, solidified his upward momentum. From 1990 to 1993, Madoff served as the non-executive chairman of NASDAQ, a position that allowed him to lobby in Washington. But in 1992, the SEC shut down Avellino and Bienes because the two men did not have proper licenses to be investment advisors and accused them of running a Ponzi scheme. By then, the company had 3,200 solely Madoff clients and had funneled $441 million in investments to Madoff. Bienes claimed the reason they never registered was because Madoff didn't want them to, and they were beholden to his business. At this point, Madoff returned the majority of the investment money, though he shortchanged them by $18 million. Internally, this made things worse for Madoff, as he now needed to grow his list of new investors to cover his losses. In 2000, financial analyst Harry Markopoulos was asked by his boss at a competitive firm to reverse engineer Madoff's success. Markopoulos looked at Madoff's system and dissected the returns, but he couldn't figure it out because it wasn't real. It took me five minutes to know that it was a fraud. It took me another almost four hours of mathematical modeling to prove that it was a fraud. Markopoulos explained to his bosses that what Madoff was running was a Ponzi scheme. Even when the market went down, none of his investments were hurt, and Madoff still produced 1%. And when the market went up, same thing, 1%. Markopoulos tried to alert the SEC, but they ignored his warning for several years. Even after talking to reporters, even after scathing articles were published attacking the validity of Madoff's business practices, his reputation proved indestructible. But in 2008, following the burst of the housing bubble and the subsequent stock market crash during the Great Recession, Madoff's clients began requesting to cash out. Madoff was having trouble coming up with the $7 billion worth in redemptions to fulfill the withdrawals. 
It was in early December of 2008 that Madoff alleged he told his sons that the business was, quote, all just one big lie and basically a Ponzi scheme. The next day, on December 11, 2008, Madoff surrendered to authorities saying he had no innocent explanation for what he had done. Federal prosecutors charged him with fraud, international money laundering, lying to federal securities regulators, and multiple other charges. Prosecutors alleged that the combined balance on client statements was approximately $64.8 billion. Those affected ranged from carpenter union pensioners to Hollywood A-listers to French aristocrats. After pleading guilty to all 11 charges against him, Madoff was sentenced to 150 years in prison in 2009. According to financial regulators, no evidence exists that Madoff ever traded a single share on behalf of his investment clients in more than 40 years of examining his books. Ronnie Sue Ambrosino and her husband lost a million and a half, their entire retirement plan. But she blames the government for not paying the victims back when they were supposed to be insured for up to $500,000 by a government-backed fund. I see a system that's broken. I see regulatory agencies that are, in my mind, corrupt. Let us get justice for the people who were raped by Madoff. And I know that's not a great word to use, but that's the strongest word I can say. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats. According to Richard C. Breeden, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission Special Master and the Madoff Victim Fund, more than 40,000 victims in 125 countries suffered enormous financial losses due to Madoff's financial crimes. Beyond the loss of tens of billions of dollars, the human consequences of the crime were almost incalculable. Many victims could no longer live independently, meet health care needs for themselves or a spouse, care for children or grandchildren, or otherwise provide for basic needs. Victims suffered the trauma of believing one moment that they were financially secure and overnight finding out that everything in Madoff was gone. According to the New York Times, Mr. Delavilliche, a French aristocrat and professional investor who lived in the New York suburbs, had put at least $1.4 billion of his and his clients' money with Mr. Madoff. He had lost his entire savings on the night of December 22, 2008. Mr. Delavilliche, 65, locked the doors to his office on the 22nd floor of a midtown Manhattan office building. Then, he swallowed a dose of sleeping pills and slashed open his left arm with a box cutter. The police found him dead the next morning. On June 11, 2009, Madoff fraud victim William Foxton died by suicide amid claims that he was unable to face the shame of losing his family savings through the Ponzi scheme. On the second anniversary of his father's arrest, Mark Madoff died by suicide, leaving behind a wife and two children. On September 3, 2014, Madoff's younger son, Andrew Madoff, died of cancer at the age of 48. He had blamed the stress of the scandal for the return of the cancer that he had fought off in 2003. The New York Post wrote on March 27, 2017, 
Charles Murphy, 56, whose fund at Fairfield Greenwich invested more than $7 billion with Madoff, leaped from a room he had rented on the 24th floor around 4.42 p.m. and landed on a fourth floor terrace, according to police sources. On April 14, 2021, Bernie Madoff died of natural causes in a federal prison hospital in Butler, North Carolina. He was 82. With us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Alarmy. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And our very special guest is actor, comedian, friend, Bane Gibby. Hello. Hello, Alarmy. <laughs> I decided that I wanted to introduce you like I was introducing you into a, a game show. I feel it. You're a prize. That's why. <laughs> do we do we maybe win one share of something that's going to not be traded? Yeah, you win one made off share. Vane, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for doing the show. We're so happy to have you. Oh, I'm excited to be here. We like to start off the show by asking our guests. What is something that is recently alarming you, maybe mm. keeping you up at night? Mm -hmm. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I have a very large pine tree right outside my window okay. that have been trying to get the property manager where I rent this bungalow to chop it down for about, I would say, between 18 months and two years because it's clearly dead. And it used to drop just pine needles, mm. so many pine needles all over my little outdoor, I have a tiny little outdoor patio that I, that I would come out every morning and everything was just covered in these sort of diseased pine needles. You could tell that the tree is dead. Now we have escalated to the point that there's no more needles left and it is now dropping, a mystery dropping, let's just call it. <laughs> um, it is brown. <laughs> Poop? It looks poop? it it could be poop. I don't know if it's poop. It's brown and it's poop like. And every day I come out and my patio is covered in it. And finally, I think my move this coming week is going to be to say, you know, I bought a chainsaw at Home Depot oh, and I'm willing no. to just give this thing a whirl by myself if you guys don't come and take care of it because I mean this tree is really ruining my quality of life in in some way so that oh is what God. is currently alarming me. Oh. <laughs> Chainsaw bluff. Are you prepared to actually use the chainsaw? As a well, I was gonna, I was gonna like, like do a little photo shoot of like I could borrow <laughs> a chainsaw and then just tie like a rope around the trunk and be like, I'm getting ready to do it, and yeah. you know, see if they if they send somebody over. Have you tried calling fire hazard Ooh. on the tree? I haven't, but I I talked about termites. I talked about rat infestation. Mm. I said, you know, it's only a matter of time before we have termites that are coming into my roof. And that hasn't provided proper um, mm. motivation. So I think fire I got next. Fire. Yeah. fire. Yeah, I think try fire because I'm also imagining a scenario where we dress either Rebecca <laughs> or Chris up as a fire chief. Send them over yeah. to your bungalow. <laughs> and then they... 
asked to speak. Maybe send them straight to the landlord's I'll house. do it. I- I'll dress yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. It's the role of a lifetime for you. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, yeah, yeah. I'll bring like, a camera just in case. Just in case anything fun happens. Chris is going to be the TMZ guy I'll in the background. It. This is the perfect transition because... How about... Money doesn't grow on trees. That's right. I was going to say, no one yelled fire at the Madoff uh, Incorporated. Mm. I don't think that's what their the company was called, but... <laughs> Madoff LLC. <laughs> Financial offices of Madoff. I, I think we should start off by talking about what is a Ponzi scheme. So... According to Business Insider, Ponzi schemes draw investors in by guaranteeing unusually high returns. The name originated with Charles Ponzi, a con artist who promised 50% returns on investments in only 90 days and ended up serving 14-year prison sentence in 1920 due to his scheme. Ponzi schemes are run by a central operator who uses the money from new in new incoming investors to pay off the promised returns to older ones. This makes the operation seem profitable and legitimate, even though no actual profit is being made. Meanwhile, the person behind the scheme pockets the extra money or uses it to expand operation. The setup eventually falls apart after the operator takes the remaining investment money and runs. New investors become harder to find, meaning that the flow of cash dies out and too many current investors begin to pull out and request their returns. This, to me, feels like the worst way to live. If you want to run a Ponzi scheme and just have like anxiety for your entire life. It is impossible to imagine that you could function like a normal human being and present like a normal human being because it's psychopathic behavior. Truly. First, I want to start off by putting up the obvious Charles Ponzi up on the board (laughs) for just inventing this whole thing in the first place. (laughs) Is he related to (laughs) is he related to Charles Pyramid? (laughs) 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 These men, these men that come up with these schemes. Um, I'm not sure, but we'll get fact checker Chris uh, to see. Mm. <laughs> yeah, can you get on that? I get on that. Yeah. So <laughs> now that the most important person is up on the board, I think we should also put Bernie Madoff up on the board. A hundred percent. Yes. So you know, according to the New York Times, only a few moments before his sentencing, Mr. Madoff apologized for the harm he inflicted on the clients he who had trusted him, his employees, and his family. He blamed his pride, which would not allow him to admit his failures as a money manager. I'm this is a quote. I am responsible for a great deal of suffering and pain. I understand it. I I understand that, he said, leaning slightly forward over the polished table, his charcoal suit sagging on his diminished frame. I live in a tormented state now, knowing that all the pain and suffering that I have created. The judge ended up giving him 150 years in in a federal prison and described it as extraordinary evil and beyond comparison to any other mm. white collar crime in history. I know he's he's gone now, but just from a reverse engineering point of view, like they tried to reverse engineer how he'd done this, I would also like to reverse engineer the thought process and wonder if his justification or the way he was able to move through the world was to say to himself, 
I'm going to do it like this now, but I'll have time to fix it. Like I'll have time to make it right. Or was he never actually thinking about the end game? Was he only sort of white knuckled in the moment? Or was there ever a plan to make it right? Or did he just not care? Because it's very hard to imagine that he wouldn't believe that the jig was going to be up at some point and he was going to have to answer to all these people. There's a delusion there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's called... Is that what we call male hubris? There's definitely that is a huge part of it, which admittedly he said it was his his pride. I mean, I don't know if we can psychoanalyze Bernie Madoff because he's like not here or whatever. But, you know, he has some issues with his father that were deeply rooted um, from his childhood. You know, his his dad, I guess, lost his job, lost his business. Um, I guess he looked at his dad as a failure. Um, his mother was the one mm. who made the money it, it, at home, and he was forced to have a job early on. Um, I think he had a lot of those issues coming in. But at the same time, you know, th- there's that like get rich quick, like overcompensating situation that I think he put himself in very early on. I mean, the most frustrating part about this is Markopoulos figured it out <laughs> decades yeah. before and and said, this guy is involved in a Ponzi scheme. He's up to no good. And he was able to reinvigorate <laughs> the the grift yeah i think what you guys are are getting at though is is good let's let's dig in right where at one what point did it go wrong i i don't think officials actually know exactly when it became a ponzi scheme but the first thing that did happen was this 1962 crisis so he had already started Uh, his business in 1960, I guess he was working out of the office of his Mm father-in-law. And according to an NPR interview, uh, Diana Enriquez says, uh, well, I don't know that we can be sure that Bernie Madoff was a swindler when he set up his practice in 1960. There were an awful lot of people who were going into the uh, OTC market, the over-the-counter market to trade legitimately and to make markets in these stocks. And I believe that he may well have been one of them. However, he did get into trouble in 1962. It was the first near-death experience that almost derailed his career. He had put his client's money into these very speculative, new-issued, over-the-counter stocks, kind of like the technology stock bubble uh, we know. Flimsy little outfits that might prosper, but usually didn't. And he invested his client's money in those stocks. And in a little air pocket that the stock market hit in 1962, the bottom just fell out and those stocks went to almost zero. Well, Bernie had a choice. First of all, he never should have put such cautious investors' money in such wild, reckless stocks in the first place. But having done so, he could have confessed to them, look, I lost your money, but he didn't. He covered it up. He bought those stocks back Mm. from their accounts using money that he had borrowed from his father-in-law. And he made them think that he had navigated that very rocky market in 1962 safely and soundly. Sort of, and that reinforced his reputation as a genius. Mm. Right. He he basically got Ugh. a god complex. Mm. It's put like it what, up. Eh, put it up. 
He got that sort of complex that doctors get when you, you know, so you save somebody's life, you save somebody's financial life. They call you a genius and you get all this, you know, accolade and then you're high on your own supply and you're like. It's like being a podcast fact checker. A hundred percent. Look at how. hundred. There was also this Black Monday in 1987. We can put that up on the board. Mm-hmm. Now, the stock market crash of 87 was a rapid and severe downturn in U.S. stock prices that occurred over several days in late October. While the crash originated in the U.S., the event impacted every other major stock market in the world. In the five years leading up to the 87 crash, the Dow Jones Industrial Average had more than tripled um, on October 87, known as Black Monday, the D. GIA fell 508 points or by 22%. Up to this point in history, this was the largest percentage drop in one day. The crash sparked fears of extended economic instability around the world. In terms of Madoff's business, this was a pivotal day. And then followed by that was the 2008 financial crisis, which really was the thing that brought him down. And now let's take a quick break to speak with Dr. Colleen Oren, Associate Professor at William Patterson University and author of Bernie Madoff and the Crisis. So it seems like the 2008 housing market crash and the the Great Recession was the point of no return for Madoff. How did that unravel? Uh, So, yes, it's amazing how even if we take the late 80s as the origin point for the scheme, it was one of the longest lasting Ponzi schemes in history. Not the longest lasting, but one of the longest lasting. Um, and so the fact that it survived uh, recessions was was remarkable. The fact that it res- survived all these SEC investigations and Harry Markopoulos and Marhedge and Barron's, but it couldn't survive the financial crisis because what ended up happening was, of course, banks stopped lending to each other. Le- uh, people were panicking, withdrawing their money, trying to stuff it under their mattress. So what ended up happening was that the investors normally made off um, honored redemption. So if if someone wanted to take their money out, he he had the liquidity to, to do that for them. Um, but with the the uh, crisis, so many withdrew. He had billions of dollars in redemptions. He, the Ponzi scheme simply collapsed because he, he just didn't have the, the capital, capital on hand to give it out to everyone. So, you know, oftentimes I still get uh, in, one, in one piece of angry mail I, I received, someone said to me, how can you write, you know, give voice because I interviewed him, give voice to this guy who caused the financial crisis. Well, he actually didn't cause it. He was like a victim of the financial crisis himself. Listen to our full interview with Dr. Aren on Thursday's episode of The Aftermath. Now back to our conversation. We should put it up obviously as well, because it it could be to blame. It lit the fuse for sure, because when people wanted to cash out and then he didn't have the money, that was when we realized the emperor had no no money. (laughs) Which is worse than no clothes. (laughs) Yeah. His his wool suit was over his diminished frame. (laughs) Was sagging. A saggy suit. Oh, nothing worse than a saggy suit. <laughs> On top of all of it, his suit sagged. 
<laughs> um, yeah, there was just no turning back. The seven, what was it? I think it was $7 billion that he had to give back was just like, not going to cover oh. it. By the way, didn't he enlist like all his friends and like uh, the Jewish community into the scheme? Like those are the people he was preying on were the people in his own community. It was his friends. And I, I feel like I remember a Vanity Fair article about this and his longtime secretary had said she was the only person who after she had scraped together some money and it was maybe a hundred grand or something and she wanted him to invest it. He had said no, and he had given her some excuse about why it was better off here, there, or any other place. And she believes she was maybe the one person that he had a conscience with because she had been his secretary for like 30 years or something. <gasps> wow. And it was that was the only time he ever denied a client. Oh my God. So he's not all that. <laughs> well, what that tells you is that he knew what he was doing the whole time. So it exactly. must have eating away at him. It, yeah. It's mind-blowing, though, thinking about these people who in 2008 were thinking, okay, well, let's cash out. And they maybe had a couple million dollars. <laughs> they thought they were, they were going to liquidize. And there was just nothing there. The whole thing works as long as everyone doesn't go, come up and ask for their money at once. You know right. what I mean? That's, right. that's when it backfires, right? Because he can yeah. pay off in smaller increments uh, over the course of, I guess, you know, I mean, however long he, he was doing this. He said he hadn't, fact, here comes a fact, he hadn't <laughs> traded a stock since the early 90s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so shocking. <laughs> he was a banker. <laughs> it's like saying I'm a podcaster and just, I don't know. The microphone's not plugged in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, people do that. <laughs> but I, I think a part of it, too, was his, what I'm going to call the Madoff magic. Mm-hmm. Now, perhaps we can put that up on the board. This is, again, Diana Henriquez, author of The Wizard of Lies, Bernie Madoff, and the Death of Trust. Mm. Se- she says in an interview, when you look at the machinery he had in place to hide his scam, because let's remember this, people. He had three floors. Mm, yes, I was going to I was going to mention the floor trick. Yeah, th- I believe it was the 17th. We could also blame the 17th floor, which was the one that was doing all the illegal stuff. Or we could just blame skyscrapers because the fact that there were so many floors facilitated him being super sneaky. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Um, this could never have happened in a brownstone. <laughs> no, actually. If the office was in a ranch-style house, house in California. Nice single level, even a split level. It's Open not happening. Open warehouse, no, wall, no offices for people. <laughs> in an open workspace. Yeah. In an open workspace, this never would have happened. Um, so he, um, he faked clearing house screens that you could look at on computers in his office and you'd say, oh, sure, there are the stocks I own right there, but it was all a phony. You would see the key lieutenant, Frank DePascali, which we'll we'll touch upon next. Get him up. (laughs) Apparently Mm -hmm. trading stocks, it was just a mockery. Apparently trading stocks for you with Europe, when in fact he was just trading keystrokes with an employee hidden in a room down the hall. Oh my God. He saved old letterhead and old office equipment. So if he needed to reconstruct 
a backdated document to stick in the files, knowing what regulators were, would look for, he could do that. It was really brilliant the way he covered it up. So that's one way he was able to keep uh, going and carry it out. But another way, uh, which was more important, was the sort of made-off magic, the magic of his personality. He inspired... Mm trust in a very unusual way he really was not like any ponzi schemer uh, i've ever met before and unfortunately i've met more than a few in the years most of them are kind of swashbuckling characters (laughs) (laughs) you know the bon vivant you know the most charming guy in the room and madoff was never the most charming person in the room neither Uh, in my interviews or in my interviews with other people who knew him very well. He would never be the most charming person in the room. He would make you feel like you were the most charming person in the room. That was his gift. I feel like we, we have to put up on the board computers because it was this computer trickery of these people trading fake screens, you know, and trades down the Mm. hall. It reminds me of when you're on a show and you're like in an office scene and they have just like these <laughs> these things that are on your work computer but basically you're just like typing but it's just this static image of of stats that it, that they <laughs> right, put right. like they put in either in post or like they just have as your screensaver. Right. It's like that's essentially what they were doing was totally. like yes, yeah, so you want six of those? Oh no, seven. Okay. And send and it's just going down like to Jim down the hall and he's like seven. <laughs> I'm going like, to type back received, you right. know. <laughs> It's like The Office. It's like Dwight Schrute is playing solitaire, guys. Totally. He's not doing anything. It's not doing anything. Yeah, it's a little bit of like Hollywood magic, but like in the real world. In real time. He was coordinating the efforts of all these people. Like if you're one of these people at this company, and maybe you're going to get into that later, but like. Well, not all of them knew. You know, there were like legitimate. Yeah, there was an arm of the company. Yes. That actually was trading, right? Yes, but there was this Frank D. Pascali, who is Madoff's right-hand man, essentially, and we should put him up on the board. According to New York Times, D. Pascali described himself as a kid from Queens, so he landed a job with a rising young financial whiz, Mr. Madoff. That opportunity came by way of a neighbor. He grew up next door to Mr. Madoff's personal secretary, Annette Bongiorno, this might be the woman that mm-hmm. you were talking about. She provided the in- introduction and Mr. Pascali joined Mr. Madoff's firm in 1975 after he graduated from high school. Mr. Pascali rose steadily in the firm, eventually becoming the chief financial officer. Along the way, he became close to Mr. Madoff whom Pascali described as a mentor to me and a lot more. His allegiance to his mentor, he suggested, led him astray. I was loyal, I was loyal to him. Uh, I ended up being loyal to a terrible, terrible fault. In his court testimony, he said that for at least 20 years, he had helped Mr. Madoff carry out vast financial fraud that prosecutors estimated $65 billion, including the fictitious profits claimed over the years. 
The Ponzi scheme uh, that uh, Mr. DePascali testified involved using historical stock data from the internet to create fake trade records and sending bogus account statements. That was the other thing. The bogus account statements that they printed every, I don't know, month. So they would look at the stocks in the past that had done well and retroactively pretended that they had invested in them? Is that basically what they did? I'm not sure that it was even that coordinated. I think they were just, I don't know what they were doing. They were just printing lies. And he knew that he was doing it. In fact, DePascali then turned himself in to authorities mm. in the end, and he helped convict 15 other people. Oh. Um, That's how you get a reduced sentence. He turned, yeah. Um, yeah. He ended up, did he serve time? He did not because he ended up dying before his sentencing. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Yes, he died from lung cancer. Um, Jeez. Well, he's definitely up on the board. And just giving us a quick time check, we should throw up other stuff we have. And I I just want to let everyone know, um, early on when we were talking, I did throw up uh, Get Rich Quick Schemes Mm. and um, what I call Toxic Pride. Mm. I like that. That's really good. Now, our listener suggestion comes in from at Finoodle. (laughs) <laughs> and all all that uh, at Finoodle says is capitalism, <laughs> money bag uh, emo- emoji. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> were there periods between the there syllables? Were. <laughs> there were, and it was all caps. It was uh-huh, all caps. Uh-huh. <laughs> now I think that she didn't even have to explain what, why, and I don't think we do either. No, we get it. I want to also give an honorable mention to our listener at Art Like Bread, who wrote on Instagram, I blame his name. His name was begging for him to run a scam. Made off with your money. That's true. It writes itself. It It really does. Put it up. His name. That is legit. (laughs) He he was fulfilling his destiny. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, but we have to talk about the SEC. Duh. Duh. Mm. Duh. Oh, I'm so wheel. mad at them. Totally. I mean, they had so many years of ignoring these warnings. And and someone said, or, or it was, I think it was Mark Coppolis who said uh, that the SEC has regional turf rivalries between Boston and New York offices that resulted in a lack of communication between the two. They got along about as well as the Yankees and the Red Sox. Not not well for <laughs> sports fans out for non-sports fans out there. So, they really should have been aware of what was happening because it wasn't like the the, the first time it wasn't like they hadn't heard of Madoff. Like they did investigations throughout his career. There was the 1992 where the SEC shut down his two accountants and he had to return the $441 million that he, I guess, kept $18 million of or something. <laughs> um, anyway, like they, he got away with a bunch of investigations. And I think we should also put the, the banks up there mm. because... This was this was from a clip on uh, Frontline's The Madoff Affair. And there's a congressman, Aide Perlmutter, who's, who asks Harry Markopoulos when he's interviewing him, uh, my questions are, you have supposedly sophisticated investment fund managers who are investing into this. What happened to them? Why didn't they see this? 
And Markopoulos says they were paid so much to look the other way. Those feeder funds were incentivized not to ask the questions, to be willfully blind, if you will, and not get too intrusive into the Madoff scheme. Madoff had connections to uh, lawmakers and regulators, and there, I guess, have been to these top trade groups. Um, he was actually on the board of directors of the Securities Industry Association. Makes sense. Oh, he was the chairman of NASDAQ, which meant that he could lobby in Washington. What, what would you call this? Maybe we can put this up on the board. It's like, it's too, it's too good to be true or something like that. Uh, yeah. Not wanting to jinx it if it's too good to be true. Well, it's like people don't want it in investigate something that's making people money is it like willful ignorance in a way yeah yeah, yeah. that's it yeah because it kind of get, goes along with like the get rich quick mentality it's like this if if the consumers who are making money the, the investors aren't complaining mm-hmm. they're really like it's just a lot of trouble for these the sec and these other whatever independent watchdog organizations to investigate right like they'd rather not yeah yeah Yeah. it served it served all of them to not you know it served all of them to not call it out so what do we think i mean uh, is there anything else we want to throw up on the board um i can think of greed that feels like one we should have yeah yeah (laughs) Definitely. Just uh, straight up old fashioned greed. All right. So let's take a quick break right now. And then we're going to start knocking things off the list. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hit us, Chris. All right. (laughs) Who is to blame for the Bernie Madoff scheme? Is it Charles Ponzi? Bernie Madoff. Get rich quick schemes. Toxic pride. The 1962 crisis, God complex, Black Monday, the 2008 financial crisis, the Madoff magic, the 17th floor, skyscrapers, <laughs> Frank DePascali, uh, computers, sure, capitalism, <laughs> his name, Madoff, SEC, the banks, Willful, willful ignorance or good old-fashioned greed. <laughs> wow. we got a long list here. This is quite quite a list. Yeah. Mm. I, a good I, list. I'm not sure what we're going to knock off first. <laughs> I, I, I have, I have I one. Guess. And it's, it's not really in sequential order, but it just popped out to me that I think we can knock mm. off the Madoff magic because that's just bad acting. Oh, and if boy. there's nothing I dislike, it's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some backting, phoning it in, and just bedacting, phoning. He was, he was, he knew what he was doing. He was just making everybody feel like they were amazing, and that's just cheap magic tricks on set that you don't like. You know, yeah, yeah. But there's a reason why he keeps getting work. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's fake. Yeah, but totally, people love to hear it. It's infuriating. Now, I would also say we can take off some of these specific events, like the 1962 crisis, Black Monday, and the 2008 financial crisis. Yeah, because you're saying that really other people rode that wave and didn't come up with, you know, the largest Ponzi scheme in history. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I withstood the 2008 financial crisis, and I didn't go off the goddamn These are rails. All really good points. <laughs> I was there I, too. Come to think about it, I survived it too. Whoa, <laughs> we all did. I think if we're here, and we were not children, so I think I think you're right. Yeah. Um, I also think that we can take off perhaps the 17th floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can wrap that into skyscrapers. <laughs> yes, we'll keep skyscrapers on there for now because I do think I agree with you guys. I don't think this would have happened in an open concept uh, office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would never have gone down at WeWork. No. <laughs> well, actually, Bane, actually, oh, no. it, you may it, have just disproved our point. It, it actually did. It did. <laughs> um, I think we can also take off innocent um, p- computers because they're just trying to make our lives easier for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll yeah. see. In years from now, though, computers we'll might be evil, you know, in like a hundred years, don't know. whoever takes over this podcast when I retire, um, because it will continue. Um, wow. <laughs> they, nice they might be uh, blaming the evils of computers, but we don't know. We're living through it. Mm hmm. 
Mm-hmm. We'll you know, you got to be careful what you say about computers uh, on the record oh, because okay. of there's this theory that says they're going to skim all databases to see who was against them oh, once they do take over. So I just want to say right now, I'm pro AI, I'm pro computer. Yeah. I, like I can't wait for them. I love, I love just opening my laptop and just that glow <laughs> and the way it mm. sort of welcomes me. It's always so warm and yeah, I, I love appreciate that. being able to connect uh, with loved ones through computer. Yes, exactly. it's beautiful. The sound. There's so much it offers. <laughs> okay, yeah, we're all we're all pro computer here, but and we're that's why we're taking computers off the list. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. We love you, computers. We're on your side. I also think we can take off skyscrapers okay. for the okay. same reason because yeah. I don't want skyscrapers turning against me. <laughs> <laughs> Just on the outside chance that they, beca- they team up with the computer. They yeah, form yeah. an army. Yeah. It's a skyscraper oh computer army and it's terrifying. Massive. Um, I think we can also take just his name off. His name made okay. him do it. Right, because yeah. why didn't his dad do it, I guess? Charles Ponzi. I do think we can take him off the list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Whatever, he, he started it, but... I don't know. We it can't. It's just named after him. It's really just a form of it's stealing. Just a con that. man. Yeah. yeah He's just, just a con like, man. Yeah. Now, I feel like toxic pride, God complex, and old fashioned greed are kind of all in the same family. So, is there one we like best? Mm. I think God complex. Yeah, I like God one. complex. Yeah. I kind of like that too. Because, you know, at the end of the day, a bank is just trust, right? Or somebody who's looking after money is just trust. And trust is a big part of... In God we trust. In God we trust. Weirdly, though, (laughs) yes. Wait, but that's creepy. If he thinks he's God... Yeah, exactly. I think we can take off uh, Frank DePascali, too, because he was Mm. a pawn. Um, He was a, a high school graduate... Uh, who happened to live next door. It's <laughs> just like he, his circumstances were conspiring against him. He was just trying to get a job and got pulled into the, pulled into the Ponzi. I think he was probably mm-hmm. scared and was being manipulated and gaslit. And, yeah. um, and then he turned himself in. So he had a he knew. conscience. He knew. Yeah. And I think also willful ignorance. I mean, that more is talking about the investors who were also the victims. Right. So, but let that be a warning. Let that be a warning. We -hmm. need to be more Mm -hmm. aware because I get it. I don't, I'm not great with money and I don't want to deal with it. And if someone's like, "I'll, I'll, I'll help you, I'll do it all for you. You don't have to worry about, give me all of your money and I'll give you, and it'll, you know, I'll make investments for you. I'd be like, okay. That okay. sounds good. We've got Bernie Madoff, Madoff, get rich quick schemes, which I actually think we can take that off as well. Yeah. God complex, capitalism, the SEC, and the banks. Ooh, the banks. What I mean, it's so hard now because the SEC really dropped the ball. Yeah. They did. <laughs> Big time. But are they to blame? Their lack of regulation, perhaps. I mean, they didn't help and they're meant to protect us from exactly this and they didn't do it. But I mean, what what's more to blame? The it's SEC hard to blame or the them. banks who turned a blind eye and just made millions of dollars. 
Well, you got to blame the regulators there for not catching it, right? I mean, I mean, if the banks can get away with it, they will. You have to sort of operate under that. It's hard because now we're down to brass tacks, guys. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. we have four left on the list, and we have five left on the list, and they're all they all. They're I mean, all... How do you not blame Bernie Madoff? <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I mean, I feel I'm like with you. that's that's the probably the winner. Yeah. Here's what I think. I think we end up we send Madoff to jail. And we give the SEC the big uh, the big slap. Mm. I also mm. think we should give Mark Coppolis the big clap. Oh yes, yeah, definitely. Do you want to call that? Yeah, uh, Mark Coppolis, you're getting the big s- clap. <laughs> you almost accidentally yeah. slapped I know, him, I, but I stopped. <laughs> We've never had a misfire here. That would have been interesting because we do. Technically, the bylaws in the Constitution say we do have to co- follow through if Rebecca, if I, yeah, Rebecca miss, dictates what we have to do. Totally, um, right. So, yeah, I'm I'm gonna call it. What do you guys think about that? I feel like we're all yeah. in agreement, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. The SEC, you're getting the big slap. Bernie Madoff, you're going to the alarmist jail. See ya. <laughs> See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. That's, <laughs> that's right. A classic. You know what I was going to say? This whole time I was researching Madoff, I was thinking, the prideth cometh before the falleth. <laughs> mm. <laughs> say that again? <laughs> the prideth cometh before the falleth. It's really the pride cometh. Before the fall, I think. <laughs> Before the fall is. Bane, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us get to the bottom of this Bernie Madoff scheme. I'm here to do the hard work, and I'm just excited you asked me to be part of this journey to really nail this uh, guy to the wall. After the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme, according to the New York Times in 2012, Peter Madoff, 67, was sentenced to 10 years in prison. He admitted to a range of crimes, including falsifying documents, lying to securities regulators, and filing sham tax returns. Prosecutors said that if Peter Madoff had properly done his job as chief compliance officer at Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities, regulators would likely have detected the fraud years earlier. Peter Madoff was not charged with knowing about the Ponzi scheme and insists that he first learned about it only 36 hours before his brother's arrest. According to Business Insider, in 2014, five of Madoff's employees were found guilty for their part in the Ponzi scheme. In 2009, Madoff's accountant and lawyer, David G. Freiling, faced a maximum sentence of 114 years in prison, but was later fined and sentenced to one year of house arrest and an additional year of supervised release instead. According to NPR, despite promises by lawmakers to help, efforts to assist Madoff victims have often led nowhere. In Madoff's aftermath, a few measures have been taken to prevent another scandal, like the establishment of Securities and Exchange Commission program to protect whistleblowers at financial firms. But Ponzi schemes, but Ponzi schemes continue and stay alarmed because it can happen again. 
you think is to blame by going to thealarmistpodcast.com. Follow us at the Alarmist the on Twitter, at the Alarmist Podcast on Instagram, or email us at thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing who's to blame for the tragic events that happened at Action Park. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.